0: Hey, welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. I'm your host, Roger Abel, here with Elias Randall again.
1: Um, Eli, how's it going? Good. Good morning, Roger. Thanks for having me on the show again. I really really appreciate that.
0: You know, I I have you on the show 98% of the time.
1: And I'm always thankful for that. That's the kind of guy I am. I don't
0: know if I believe it, but... We were talking about negative negativity the other night in the car, and that we're not going to be negative. And then I came in this morning, and you said something about a recession.
1: Well, I always have good intentions of being positive, but it doesn't take much to uh, to get me going. No, and I don't. I'm not making. Uh, I'm not making predictions or anything. But I was listening to. Uh, I was listening to a podcast and they're just they're talking it was more a talk about the yield curve and stuff like that i know that's really like in the weeds stuff but it just kind of was a good reminder to me that i should be prepared for that and maybe investors should be prepared um and the reason they talk about it so an, an inverting yield curve usually leads to a recession so it's just something i'm getting mentally prepared for i don't know that it's going to happen but um it certainly certainly could um and we are close to uh the spring so far, we were close to a bear market. We were almost down twenty percent, or the S and P five hundred was at at one time. So, and,
0: and we've got a nice little bounce um, since then. But it's interesting you mentioned that this morning. Yesterday, I had in my office um, someone from First Trust Investments just give me some uh, like market background, and he said, you know, he believes there's going to be a recession. And I said, well, I, I don't time markets, so I mean, that's relevant to me, but not not that relevant. Uh, So what it did is it caused me to go do a Google search of how stocks actually performed during the last six recessions we had. We're not going to cover it today because it's not in this outline, but I think it'll be meaningful for the next show. We'll kind of tease it a little bit. We're going to have the six stock market returns of the past six um, recessions that have happened. And most notably, the last one was the Great Recession. That's what everybody thinks about. It's one of the biggest drawdowns, but... I don't want to get too far into it, but I thought it was interesting that you brought that up because I was talking to another individual yesterday, and they said, "Hey, look, there's five signals that I track, and everything leads to a recession. And a recession doesn't mean that it's a stock market collapse, but people have the recency bias of what we refer to as the Great Recession, which was a very large drawdown in the stock market.
1: And that that was one of my that was one of my other points on this was that not all recessions are are uh, like the great financial crisis. There's been times in history where we've had a recession in the stock market and it wasn't like the other parts of the economy continued to uh, continue to operate just fine. but we can we'll get into that some other time.
0: I just I thought it was quite interesting that you brought that up. so that's yeah. good insight.
1: And there's signals, other thing, I mean, everyone, there's people that track signals and indicators and all that. But there's no, just for listeners, there's no set of signals or indicators or anything that's always 100% accurate and 100%
0: right. Well, one of the signals that is out there that people watch is the yield curve and if it becomes inverted. And that's yeah. what people are watching for. And that's why the podcast you were talking about brought that up. There's portions of the yield curve that are inverted at this point. But that doesn't always mean recession. We had an inverted yield curve a few years ago. We didn't have a recession. So I don't want people to think, oh, wait, this happens. We're having a recession. That's not that's not the 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 case. But something else that we talked about this past summer, which I thought was very interesting. I don't know if you remember this show, but Dave Ramsey kind of first brought it to light into our world maybe about a year ago. But it's something called the Great Resignation. And it was this idea that there was a vast amount of people moving from one employer quitting their job and doing something else, whether it was because they thought it was greener pastures on the other side, more money, better opportunity, but this thought that there was a large percentage of the population that was going to leave their employment, aka the great resignation and do something different. And MSN just came out with an article the other day that's titled, turns out the great resignation may be followed by the great regret.
1: I do remember that show, filming it and talking about it. A couple of things I remember from it was, um, I w- I thought it was a pretty exciting thing because a lot of the talking points were people are resigning from jobs that maybe f- just felt like um, just a job to them, and were starting to pursue more things that were not only a career but also maybe so- more in line with their passions, um, and. S- and those type of things so i remember being pretty excited thought it was great um but this new article from from msn that it could be turning into regret for a lot of people and 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 reading through it 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 really makes sense if and i'm there's a lot of people that have probably left a job and went somewhere there where they thought the grass was greener just to find out it's pretty much the same grass or maybe if you stopped working in a career where you had salary of X, you took less salary to do something that you felt you were more passionate about. And now you're realizing I can't afford the house that I want on this salary. I can't afford to do the vacations I want to take on this salary. Um, So, you know, the, I guess at one time I was excited. Now I see some people are regretting, but I guess that's to be expected, right? You can't, if you have all these people making changes it's not, not going to work out for everybody. So a couple of key points there. There was a
0: research study released by a job site called The Daily Muse. It took 25 workers that had switched jobs. Three-quarters of them experienced a surprise or regret in switching jobs. And nearly half of those workers were going to try to get their old jobs back. And I think about this. And we've seen people in our industry, you know, a lot of people that start in our industry, we start right out of college because we don't know any better and it sounds great. And they do this for like 10 or 15 years. Like, man, maybe I should go do X because this wasn't what it, what I thought it was. So I go switch and do something else in the industry. And sure enough, three years later, guess what? They're back being a financial advisor because they, the they, they realized how good it is. Or they'll switch from one firm to the next and think that it's going to be better and there might be things that are better but typically there's things that aren't quite as good so I completely understand what's happening here and people just had this thought that hey this new employer is going to let me work from home but maybe they have some program that has big brother watching me all
1: day long I know that's your big concern Elias is that we got big brother watching if you're working from home I'm not Uh, concerned. I have no you Anyone can watch me. I don't care. I have no concerns about no, it.
0: No, but I'm referring to, we were talking about how to improve some in our intra-office communication. You're like, you just want Big Brother around all the time. Because and that's not do. true. You do. But but think about this. If you were at somewhere that didn't have that, and it was just come and go as you please, and now you switch to a new firm where you think is going to be better, but now they've got some way to kind of have Big Brother over your shoulder. That's quite a surprise. They're not going to tell you that in the interview. They're only going to tell you the good stuff. I mean, when was the last time anybody interviewed for a job and the company said, man, this guy's not a whole lot of fun to work for. They don't give you any vacation. They say it's going to be flexible, but it's not flexible. They don't tell you any of the good, any of the bad stuff. It's all the really, really good stuff. It's no different in our industry of getting recruited to go to a different firm. They don't tell you the bad stuff about the firm. They don't tell you that their back office support isn't very good. They only tell you how great their technology is or or whatever it could be. It doesn't matter what it is. People typically just tell you the good stuff that's happening out there. But I think this is a interesting dynamic that's happening. And it's human nature to always think that there's something better. And then you realize boy i i had it pretty good where i was
1: well and that's in this article the guy says people think the grass is greener and it's the same grass you know one thing you can do at least i always think is maybe you can uh whatever grass you're working with think of some uh, some ways to make your current situation better now whether that's possible or not that depends a lot on where you work and the flexibility and all those type of things that you were just mentioning. Um, but as far, you know, as far as uh, me and Big Brother and all that, they could you could have cameras on me 24 hours a day and it wouldn't bother me at all. I'm not ashamed of my work ethic or what I do. Oh so my gosh. You guys can spy on me all you want. Because we're talking about job
0: transition, we thought it would be good time to talk about three reasons not rolling over a 401k could be a big mistake when you leave your job because you're leaving your job. But before we get to that, one thing I want people to really think about if you decide to leave a job is how do you financially prepare for a job transition? So anytime you're changing something in life, we, we believe you should have some kind of a plan, whether it's retirement or buying a new house or funding college, you should have some type of a plan. So how do people... Elias, start to prepare financially if you are going to transition from employer A to
1: employer B? There's, uh, there's a few things that you can do that I think would be good strategies to implement. One of the easiest, if you're going to look for a new job, is have an emergency fund of like six months of your expenses maybe. Now, I will say I'm probably not one to suggest quitting a job before you have another one lined up. But if you were able to live for three to six months without an income, you could easily do that and um, still support yourself and then dedicate full-time effort to finding a new career.
0: And to go with that, not to interrupt you, but if you have a six-month emergency fund and you do decide to quit your employment before you have another job, The interesting dynamic of our society today is there's all the the gig worker opportunities. So someone could say, hey, I really just dislike my job being an engineer. I've got six months of savings. I think if I go drive Uber or Lyft or whatever the gig job you're going to do is, maybe I can supplement for a long period of time until I get the ideal job. So it kind of leads into the next one. And that's just do a financial reality check of where you are. Figure out what your expenses are, where all the, the kind of cracks that seep all of your money out. And one of the things that I found, uh, I had the last year I, I lost or I had a credit card stolen. My bank account was stolen, the, the debit card. So I had to basically stop or not renew all these subscriptions. And I'd get an email that said, pass due notice for a subscription. And I literally haven't used some of these things in three years. And, you know, it's not $400 a month, it's $8. But if you do that seven different times, it's $56 a month and a bunch of stuff that I haven't been to in months website subscriptions or phishing, magazine subscriptions, or whatever it could be. So if you're going to switch jobs, Really get an idea of where all your money's going and have a game plan on how to stick this out if you don't have another job lined up or how, how you're going to make it all work. And then it brings me back to the original thing we talked about, which is the great regret. If you switch a job, let's say you're an engineer and you switch a job and you say, I'm going to become a financial advisor because you know I think it's great. And you get into this industry and realize this is not what I thought it is. You may really need that emergency fund because you might not be able to stick out that job you switch to while you try to get your old job back.
1: That is a very good point. And depending on, especially depending on the compensation structure, right? I mean, if you went equivalent salary to equivalent salary, that's not a big deal. But if you left a good salary to work a commission job or Um, I actually heard or read that there's been a spike in real estate. Um, Excuse me. They're called realtors. Um, That's a commission job. So there's probably a lot of people out there that left a salary. And maybe now that they're getting into, um, like, that's one example. Now they're a real estate agent. That's a commission gig. So uh, you could be making no money at that point.
0: Think about commission jobs in general. They're great over a long period of time, because you build relationships with people, you get repeat buyers, but most commission jobs aren't great the first year. I don't know many commissioner sales jobs that someone can just come in and say, yep, I'm gonna do this and just become a rock star right away. I don't care where you are, even if it's with like a big corporation, here's why. If I think about wholesaling in our industry, we have product vendors who work for large companies that come here and tell us about their product. Well, there's a reason the territory was open, right?
1: Just to think. Get that job? Yeah.
0: There's a reason it was open. Do you think it was the best territory? No.
1: That could, yeah. It's that the worst could be territory.
0: Because if it was the best, there was probably somebody else internally that's like, "Hey, look, I'd really like to take that. I want to have that job," and they're leaving a different territory to do it. So you always ask yourself, why is the job open? And if I was in a job interview, I'd be asking people, why is this job open? Why did the previous person leave? Well, they couldn't hit their sales quota. Really? How long were they here? Three years. Then you gotta start and ask yourself, well, if they're telling me I'm gonna get a base salary of X and my compensation is gonna be made up 50% of commissions, but the guy before me didn't do it, you might want to look into it and find out what the reality is maybe they don't have a competitive product whatsoever. Maybe there's not enough market share here. I have a friend who was in wholesaling and on the insurance side and they wanted X amount of premium out of a territory. And the market share for the all of the companies in this one territory was like 50% of what the company wanted. And the company not only wanted him to do this large production. They wanted him to increase the overall market. So let, let's say That's there's... not a, even Let's realistic. say the whole market with all companies is doing a million dollars a premium and they wanted him to do two million. They expected him to increase the market and he didn't ask before he took the job. Well, That's
1: there's no realistic. way he's
0: ever going to get hit any of his boys. He was stuck in this job basically making the salary, which is nothing. And that was the reason there had been three people before this person that left the job. Yeah. And Under, that goes unrealistic back to expectations. There you go, and that's why having an emergency fund actually may be really important because you might not be able. And you 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 brought that up. If it's commission job, they're not telling you what the minimum commission is. They're telling you what the commission is if you hit your goals.
1: The blue the blue sky. It's the all pie in blue the sky. sky. Yeah, the pie in the sky commission. Yeah. Okay, so there's one last item here. When people. Leave their job, typically they're going to have an old 401k out there. So that's another thing to consider. You're going to have to decide to do, decide what to do with your old retirement plan. So, what are some of the options there? Self directed IRA, you could probably move it to your new 401k. Do you want to talk through some of those?
0: Yeah, really, the, I think there's. Three primary options, and then we're going to get to kind of the gist of this show, which is the three reasons not rolling over over a 401k could be a mistake. But option one, most of the time is you could leave it at the old employer. Most, old, most employers will let you leave it there. There are some exceptions, especially with smaller employers, um, that they won't allow you to do that. Or if you have a small balance, they may want you to move that account out. If that's the case, you've got two routes. You can move it to your new employer if they have a 401k, or you can go to a self-directed IRA. Really to make that decision comes down to a lot of different factors. And we suggest that somebody consult with their financial advisor or complete a financial plan to do that. If you need help with that, you can go to btwellshow.com, click get help. We're more than happy to walk somebody through what their options are and what the benefits and disadvantages are. Because There's benefits and disadvantages to all all three options. But today, let's talk about the three reasons why leaving it at the old employer could be a big mistake.
1: Number one, and people probably won't believe this, but we know it's true. You could forget about the account.
0: Happens all the time.
1: I have a story about this. I think it was almost a year ago. We got a call from a client. Hey, I got this letter I think I have some old 401 It was either a 401k or pension. I don't remember. I think I have something somewhere. I got this letter. Okay, bring it in. Let's make a phone call together and figure it out. The account value was $180,000. How I had it. do you forget about 180? I mean, what a great surprise, right? And that's what I told the client. This is a great day. Well, let that's me tell you how surprise. you forget about it. Yeah, how here's, do you forget you, that?
0: Okay, you had a job when you're 20. You had it for six years. You had $20,000 in the 401k and you forgot you had it when you were 26. And now you wake up and you're 65. What's happened over time? It's What's probably ru- growing in contrast. Rule of 72. Yeah, the doubled rule of 72. a few times. Yeah. If you make 10%, it doubles every 7.2 years. So if you were for 40 years, maybe you have five doubles on it. Well, that's 20 to 40, 80, 160. I mean, it could easily happen. And it, it, this takes me back to that research report um, that Daniel Crosby did and, and got from Fidelity. They went back and tried to find out why certain investors had much better performance than everybody else. I
1: and remember the most this.
0: Common answer was they forgot about it because it was a small account, which goes to show that micromanaging your investments probably is not the winning strategy all the time. But the problem with forgetting about it is you have to find it. If you have $200,000 sitting out there and you don't know about it because you move five times and they can't find you, what if you never find it?
1: So that's right, that, the problem with Yeah, that's my it. That's the big concern, right? Because had that client never got that letter or got the letter and read it and thought it was a scam or junk mail and just, threw it away, that's a lot of money to just leave on the table. I don't think most people want to do that.
0: I'm sure I don't want to do that. So one of the things you know we talk with people about is the more simple or simplified you can make your financial life, the better off you are. There's no reason to have five different old employer 401ks. There's no reason to have five different traditional IRAs or three different Roth IRAs Get it down, consolidate it down. It's you're not diversified by doing that. People think though I'm diversified because I have an account at Ameriprise and I have an account at Wells Fargo and I have one at LPL and I have one at wherever. I'm diversified. No, you're just buying the same stuff. You could all have in one account. And you know, you
1: own, yeah, you own the same stuff at three different offices. It's pretty. I've, or or I've, I've seen that before. Or I've too. got
0: three old four hundred one ks and one has the twenty thirty fund and one has the twenty thirty five and one has the twenty forty. Yeah, you own the 2035 fund. It's just, but people view it as diversified. So one of the number one reasons is you could forget that you have the account.
1: Another reason um, why you wouldn't want to just leave a 401k sitting there, and this is probably more relevant for older investors or anyone, I guess, who's not, just like 100% stock or 100% bonds, but you could end up with an unbalanced portfolio. Meaning, let's just say, for example, you wanted to have a portfolio that was 60% stock, 40% bonds, but the stocks have been performing so well that now the portfolio is 80% stock and 20% bonds. Um, Forgetting about something could lead to an unbalanced portfolio because then it's never getting uh, rebalanced.
0: And I see this all the time. There's two flip sides here. One, it's all stock, all company stock. Had this 401k, it was all company stock. I kind of forgot about it. Been sitting out there. So they have a bunch of excess risk, or they've been contributing they had in cash. Think if you have an account that you're not paying attention to, and you basically put in the money market or the stable value fund. A lot of people use the stable value fund in these 401ks.
1: That would be a poke in the eye.
0: And now we've got 7% inflation and you got paid two. You're just losing your purchasing power. So it goes back to simplification helps you manage everything regarding your overall portfolio. But number three, I think, is the number one reason why leaving it there could be a mistake. And it's probably not so much for younger people. But number three is you may be missing out on better investment opportunities. Think about how a 401k is designed and who it's designed for. The 401k is designed for people who are making contributions to the plan. So inherently, when the 401k is designed, it's designed around investments that primarily provide growth which makes sense if everybody's contributing, we're all in the accumulation mode. It's not, most 401ks are not designed for decumula, decumulation or distribution phase. So I want people to think you're 66 years old and you leave it at your old 401k because that's what's always done well. Then you look at your investment options and they've got the S&P 500 and they have a value fund, they have a bond fund, they have a 2020 fund. And maybe you want to go with a dividend strategy to say, hey, I have a million dollars in here, I need 25,000 here. I wanna find some of the two and a half or 3% dividend. Most of the time in 401k plans, they are not designed around building a dividend strategy for somebody. So you're really, really limited. And that's where having the option to go to your own self-directed IRA can really help with your distribution strategy when you retire or what we refer to as a bucket, bucket strategy. You know, for our people who are retiring, we we do a bucket strategy. If you don't have one of those, or want to know what one is, you can go to our website. We'll have a sample bucket strategy out there. You can download it, see what it looks like, maybe use it for your own situation. But it's how we try to take care of retirement distributions. That said, if you're 30 years old, the 401k probably has fine options for you. You know, think about it's got S&P 500 or a total stock market index or a growth fund it's hard to say, yep, there's a whole lot of way better options. Now, you're not maybe not getting professional money management or getting a portfolio that's really tailored to your needs, which is what we develop with a financial plan. But for younger people, I don't see it as detrimental to leave it there as I do for people who are nearing retirement or at retirement.
1: And it's not. I mean, for younger people, it's just it wouldn't be as detrimental. And it does to add on to your point about, well, what if you're looking for a dividend strategy? And this by no means means that uh, 401ks and what companies are offering are bad. They're just typically more vanilla, right? The, they try to keep, a lot of them that I look at is they want the investing options to be pretty plain, but they're also, if they offer, I feel like one of the reasons they offer too much, they might feel like they're have a little bit more liability than they'd like to have with those investment choices. Cause they do have some fiduciary standards over the 401k and stuff like that. So a lot of times you get passive strategies and target date funds, just not the, and it's not a bad thing, but you don't get the, the options that you get if you're to move it into your own IRA. And especially if you work with a professional,
0: for instance, you can just go look at a, a 401k and there's a guy, a gentleman who works with my mom. My mom's head of human resources at a, for, at a, company in town. And he always asked my mom, why can't we have some sector funds? And why can't we have these things in the 401k? And my mom will call me in full disclosure. I don't do their 401k. And my mom wants to understand what he's asking for. And I said, mom, here's the reason you're not going to offer a sector fund because how people select their investment choices is based upon the one year, the three year, the five year and the 10 year average. And typically they just say, Hey, what did it do last year? I'm going to pick the one that did the best, and most of the time, guess what? It's not the one that does the best the next year. But let's say now we add in sector funds. and I'm just going to use the technology sector, the Nasdaq. Well, if you went and looked at the the one, the three, the five, and the ten year, someone could potentially invest all of their money in technology. And oh, what this happened? This looks if they, great. Yeah. And guess what happened if they did that this year? They're down fifteen or seventeen percent. However far off the Nasdaq is when we're doing the show. That's why companies don't do it. They're protecting their employees from making bad decisions that they don't know are bad. So if you want the tailored opportunities, which are out there, you need to be able to go to a self-directed IRA. That would be the advantage. But for most employers, the, the funds that they're selecting in those plans are of the highest quality in their category.
1: Yeah, if you're looking they at growth funds, right? Because they do a lot of they. they do, a, there's a lot of due diligence that they do to put funds in. They
0: that. have a fiduciary responsibility to offer you what's in your best interest. So they'll screen out the funds. If they have active funds in there. They're going to screen them out, make sure that they kind of meet the standards that they've set forward. And it's why you'll see a lot of index strategies in 401ks because they want plain vanilla that protects their liability. Truth be told. The employer really is not concerned about how well you do in the 401k. They're more concerned that they stay out of trouble because they don't offer you a bad investment.
1: Right. Yeah. They Right. Like sector funds. They're not going to offer that because too much liability for them. Remember and- the
0: story I had about the, the individual who opened the, the brokerage account inside the 401k and started buying penny stocks. Yes. Uh, and I mean, one of the greatest bull markets of all time. The guy's down 90 percent because he's buying bankrupt coal companies. But. Right. He was buying them based upon the cost. He's like, "Well, I can buy more shares." Well, yeah, you're just buying more worthless shares.
1: So I heard a, I heard a funny take on that because that is one question I've been asked, especially by younger people. Well, should I buy stocks that are a low price or, you know, like a low price to earnings? Well, one of the questions when you're looking at something like that, you should ask yourself, why is this price so low? And is the answer, you found the diamond in the rough that no analyst or investment professional can find? The answer's probably not. It's probably low price because it's not a company worth buying at higher prices. So just a little little nugget there to throw in. There's
0: certain times where companies hit capacity and they'll do a stock split so they can make it more affordable for people to buy. Apple did a stock split. Tesla did a stock split. Amazon's gearing up to do a stock split. They're just trying to get it to a place where people could afford to buy a share of the company. I'll give you a great example. Berkshire Hathaway, the Class A shares. Do you know how much one share of Berkshire Hathaway Class A trades for?
1: I I might've heard wrong. I believe they're like 500,000 a share now. Today it's 527,000 a share. <laughs> so. Good luck.
0: But what I would tell most investors is that's been a great company. If you look back to 1998, someone said, man, it's really expensive, I can't buy it. It was 50,000 a share in 1998. It was it would have been a phenomenal investment. It's up 10X.
1: Right, but that's that's kind of one of my points. The price of the security they is don't not what matters when no. you're evaluating. No,
0: but if, if the price seems low, you could say, okay, was the price 3000 a share, and now it's 150 a share because they did a stock split. Oh, well, that makes sense. They're making it more affordable. But like you said, if you start buying stocks as they're $3, companies that are trading for $10 aren't doing a stock split to get down to $3. I promise you. It's already affordable.
1: Right, <laughs> So yes.
0: Yeah, I mean, price of a stock is relative to its earnings. It's not relevant to whether the stock is actually considered inexpensive or overpriced because some could that say well berkshire hathaway is so overpriced it's only relevant to its earnings so right with that said elias i think we had a great show if anybody's looking for help uh doing a financial plan you can go to btwellshow.com if you want to download our bucket strategy you can go to btwellshow.com we'll have molly post that link so you can download what that bucket strategy looks like until next time, I want to thank everybody for listening. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show today.
1: Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment
0: advisor, member FINRA sipc The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not
1: provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.